podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. We are here today to discuss Liverpool versus Tottenham this weekend. Um, I think this, Carl, is one of the games that I've been looking forward to since the beginning of the season, since Ange Postacoglu was appointed and the fixtures came out. Because, as you know, Ange was manager of Celtic, and I do have an affinity for for Celtic, and he is the best manager I have seen at Celtic in my lifetime. And the brand of football he played was spectacular, and they were absolutely dominant. And he decided he wanted a new challenge. He's decided that that challenge is to be Tottenham. I think there was a lot of scepticism. There were certainly a lot of Spurs fans who weren't keen. Obviously, then they lose Harry Kane in the summer as well. And that would temper any expectations that people could reasonably have. You know, when you lose your your best player, your, your leading goal scorer, your top assister, that's always going to hit you hard. But they've made a really good start to the season. Uh, a draw with Brentford, a game they possibly should have won. They beat United. They beat Bournemouth. They beat Burnley. They came from what looked like dead and buried to beat Sheffield Sheffield United 1-0 down after 97 minutes and somehow won the game. And then at the weekend in the North London Derby, they came back from behind twice. And I would say they outplayed Arsenal on their own patch. They look pretty well balanced. The midfield has been outstanding so far. The attack is flying. The defence has some issues, but it's very early days. It's a very new, very young, very inexperienced defence and a new goalkeeper. What have you made of Spurs so far? And what do you make of Postacoglu as a Premier League manager? Uh, well, I mean, Postacoglu, we've spoken about loads of times. I, I really like Postacoglu. I think he's he's been a good coach for a very, very long time. Um, I think he was ignored for ridiculous reasons, really, for quite a long time. And... You know, his style of play, his style of management, his approach with the squad, none of that has changed when he's come to to, to the UK, let's say. It hasn't changed at Celtic. It hasn't changed now at Spurs. Um, I think he's, you know, there's obviously going to be worse moments than he's had so far. No question about that. For starters, you don't just change an entire club's mentality, let alone the squads, in the matter of weeks. But you bring the optimism by your early approach, and that's certainly what he's done. Um, so I think it's been... Really, really good for them to clarify two important things at both ends of the pitch. One is obviously the Harry Kane uh, sale. I think, you know, I've said this several times through the summer. I think it was quite important that they sold him this year, not just to allow him to move on and do where he needs to do in his career, but for them to move on because it just seemed a constant state of waiting for them. Um, but probably more importantly, uh, Hugo Lloris, to be perfectly honest. And I think that. It's been really bold from Ange to not even really sort of reintegrate him after he stayed initially after the Premier League transfer window shut. Um, I think he, you know, he's just done a very, very good job of the early weeks of squad building. There's the very, very clear plan of how they defend, a very clear plan of how they build up. Much, much better, much, much quicker, much, much more aggressive than I can't even think. Maybe four, five seasons, something like that, because the last couple of years under. Conte, Mourinho, Nuno, it was all so stodgy and it was all so predictable and just just not good at all. Not very effective as well, more importantly. So I think he's done a really, really good job in the opening weeks. Definitely, like you say, there is stuff to improve upon, which 
it won't be a surprise and won't be unexpected to people in or outside the club. Um, I remember, what would it have been, 2012? It was Brendan Rodgers came in. This, this was actually right back in the, the days of you and I starting to do work together, I think. Rodgers mm. and Vias Boas had taken over the two respective clubs and it was like yeah. a, a very, very similar rebuild that was going on at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we spoke about the sort of the similarities between them in the early days, but then also which would be longer lasting and which would be the approach that each club kept hold of for the longest time. I think at the time we both thought Liverpool, just because of you know the the approach that we were taking then was completely radically different to what we'd done beforehand. Um, and it really did pan out that way. Like even if it wasn't always smooth, it was largely a similar approach, let's say, uh, in terms of how, how they built the team and picked the managers and so on. Whereas Spurs have just been all over the place since then uh, in recruitment, but most importantly in managerial terms. I think Ange Postacoglu is the most exciting manager they've had in a long, long time. I think there's massive work to do there, but he is really, really going to benefit from the fact that they have no European football this year. Yeah, hugely. And and I think going out of the League Cup early, despite the fact that you know Spurs fans are, are desperate for a trophy, I think going out of the League Cup and only having the Premier League to focus on between now and and January is a big boost for them. And I don't know if you saw the sit-down that Posta Coglu did with Gary Lineker, but he said, like, I'm not here just to win a trophy. I'm here to build a team that competes for trophies year after year after year. It can't just be about winning a trophy. It has to be about sustained success. And that is that is an approach that is needed at Tottenham. It's funny when you... You know, you talk about Rodgers and, as you said, he took over June 2022. Villas-Boas took over at the same time. Since then, we've had one manager, Jurgen Klopp. After Rodgers gone, Klopp took over. Spurs, on the other hand, tactics Timmy Sherwood, Pochettino, who wasn't just there for a brief time. Like, he was there a long time. Mourinho, Ryan Mason as a caretaker, Nuno Espirito Santo, Antonio Conte, Stellini as a very brief caretaker, and Ryan Mason as a caretaker for a second spell. Like, they've chopped and changed through managers so much. It's it's not really a surprise that they haven't found success. Can we also add in at this point, that doesn't even factor in the two managerial searches which went to yeah. probably double figures of candidates? But the, the like the one that ended with Nuno, yeah, Joe. was nothing short of a scandal. Like they they'd sacked Mourinho in April, just before the League Cup final. Because if he'd won the League Cup final, it would have made it harder to sack him. So they had two full months leading up to the summer to find the manager. Like that manager should have been ready to be appointed. If not June 1st, certainly July 1st. And yet we went deep into the summer. They went through a raft of candidates. They almost appointed Reno Gattuso. And then they end up with Nuno Espirito Santo, who we'd last seen playing some of the most uninspiring football the Premier League has ever seen at Wolves. Didn't last, what did he last, 11 games, 17 games, and is now managing in Saudi Arabia. Like, that that should have been a fireable offence for the people that were tasked with running that recruitment process. Whoever was in charge of that managerial search should have been fired after the search was, was concluded because they clearly were not good at their job. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the person most responsible for most of those searches is also the person responsible for firing people beneath him. So that wasn't going to happen, was it? Um, but Daniel I do Levy. think that, yeah, but I do think that, you know, one way or another, they have ended up at someone now who quite suits them, probably suits where they are right now more than, I don't know, many other points in, in the last few years, because there have been a few points where Spurs almost got to be 
trophy contenders. Obviously, you know, meeting them in the Champions League final was the most extreme example of that. But a couple of times along the way, they've almost been there and have then gone looking for a bigger name to take them over the line, which, you know, I, I get I get the theory behind it, but that's not really something that actually happens and works in football all that often, uh, unless you're talking about the very, very elite clubs and the very, very elite managers. So I think Postacoglu came at a very, very low point for Spurs, obviously, and maybe that is one of the factors which has allowed him to be appointed. It shouldn't be, but it might be the case that it that it actually is. Um, but like you say, they, they've started to put together now a team which looks very, very exciting. You know, We'll run through different sections of the team because I think there's a lot of this team that needs to be dug into quite quickly. I just want to touch on the, the, the weekend's North London derby. You mentioned that they outplayed Arsenal. They definitely did in spells. Um, but I think that the most important thing was when Spurs were not on top, mm. you could still see, one, that they had an outlet to trouble Arsenal, even like if it was fairly sporadic. Two, Tottenham of previous seasons, or even maybe later on this season at a different moment, would not come back from that. Not with those players. Not with that. Especially that second one. The yeah, second they, they, goal. Because it's a dodgy penalty to start with. lose 4-1. Exactly. Exactly. Heads would have gone... Arses would have dropped and they would have fallen apart. But instead they went down and scored within 60 seconds. And I thought that was a massive, massive marker for them. Because let's be fair, over the last six, seven years, Spurs have been the better team in North London. But then last season, Arsenal were considerably better than Spurs. And Spurs lost... Harry Kane in the summer. They brought in a manager whose style of play, as you mentioned, is totally different to what had come before him in Conte, Nuno and Mourinho. So he's had to change everything, basically tear it all down and start rebuilding from the ground up. Whereas Arsenal were just able to add 210 or 215 million pounds worth of players to what they'd built last year. And yet Spurs went there and went toe-to-toe with them. And I think that's a really good early season indicator for them. And they'll get another one this weekend. So in the summer, with Kane going out, and he wasn't the only one, they also sold Harry Winks, Harvey White. So maybe Ange doesn't like people whose names begin with H. That might be a something Youngman's son might need to look into. Uh, Davinson Sanchez finally... They found a buyer for him. Uh, Galatasaray, the unfortunate recipients. Um, Mixam Pascotzi, who I, I must say I've never heard of. He's a young Estonian centre-back. They loaned out Joe Roden, Troy Parrott, Alfie Devine, Jed Spence, Dane Scarlett, Javid Tanganga, Sergio Regulon, and Tangai Endembele. And they were busy with incomings. Obviously, they had the Kulisevsky and Poro deals done. Those had been loans with obligations to buy. But I think they did very well negotiating down the buy price on Kulisevsky. They bring in Vicario, who early signs, he looks a really good goalkeeper. I've been impressed. They signed James Madison, who's an early contender to be signing of the season. They signed Manor Solomon on a free. Now, there's probably going to end up in some sort of legal ramifications with that because Shaq Darrell bent out of shape, and, and and rightly so, I think. But I think it's a really good get. Ashley Phillips is a young centre-back they brought in from Blackburn, only 18, but 6'4", big, good on the ball, someone I would have liked us to have, to have had a look at. They signed Mickey van de Ven, and I think I think he's got enormous potential. I'm a little bit pissed that we didn't buy him because I think it was an easy deal for us to do. Alejo Velez, young striker coming in from Rosario Central. He's one they want to develop. And then they spent big money on Brennan Johnson, $47.5 million on deadline day to bring in Brennan Johnson. And I would look at him as he's a good player. I think he can become an outstanding player. I think long-term, he's probably your son successor. Um, but he can also play with son in the next few years. I was a little bit surprised they didn't find a direct like for like, well, not like for like, but you know what I mean? A, a, a direct replication of, of Kane, somebody that could 
give them what Kane had given them. But in the end, I understand why they didn't, because they're better off keeping their powder dry and being able to go again and get the player they want rather than kind of scrambling around and maybe lobbing a load of money at someone that doesn't fit the long term. Like, Like what we did when the Benzema deal fell through, Cavani wasn't available and we thought, you know what we'll do here? We'll just launch all this money at Newcastle for Andy Carroll because, you know, He's big and has long hair, and that makes him the same as Cavani. Um, I think overall, it's it's a really, really good summer. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, don't agree. Uh, sorry, don't disagree. Um, I, I still think that they maybe need a better fullback for the system. Um, too many wingbacks spoil the well, the balance uh, at times. But Pedro Borro has done really good things in an attacking sense. So it's understandable why they will try to work with him a bit more for sure. Um, James Madison, I mean, it was such a no-brainer. He wanted to go there first of all, which is obviously a big win for them. But I just think that there are at least three other teams who could have done with trying to sign him. And especially for the money that he was going for, it was, I don't know, it was just a deal which was there to be done by anybody who really wanted it. And and Spurs, like you say, could be signing the season, but even if he's not, he'd certainly be one of Tottenham's most important players for in the next three years, probably, no no question at all. One that you can just put in there as going to perform well, going to give you X number of uh, goals and assists a season, uh, and you build your attack around him. Whether whether Son leaves, whether Johnson becomes the star they wanted him to, whether they have a buyer for Richarlison, whatever it is, Madison, you know, is going to be there and everything else can revolve around him, and that's fine. Um, what I want to also touch on is the fact that they didn't, do much business in central midfield, and yet theirs is as completely different as ours is this season. Yeah, yeah, I do agree. And and I agree with your point about the the fullbacks. Like Poro and Doji, they are wingbacks, they're wingers who've been converted. You know, they're not Gary Nevels, as Jamie Carragher would say. They're both very attack-minded. He has used Emerson Royale when he wants a bit more balance. So Emerson, I think, is much more comfortable as a defensive fullback who's, you know, good on the ball. But I think he can be a very good defender when he's locked in. I've been really impressed with Adoiji. I think he's taken to the Premier League very well. He's not going to have many more difficult tasks than Bakayo Saka. And I thought he did pretty well against Saka. Now, the one that is a more difficult task is this weekend against Mo Salah, and we'll see how he does. But he's got the pace and strength to give Salah some problems. Um, so we'll see how that works out. I really like this um, this centre-back pairing. Now, they're a little bit too aggressive at times, especially Romero. But the pace of Van de Ven, allows them to play that high line and really squeeze the pitch. And they've got the recovery speed behind because Poro's rapid, Edoji's rapid, and Van de Ven is probably the fastest centre-back in the world right now. So that has helped Ange a lot, being able to compress the space in front. The midfield, Carl, though, is what's really impressed me. And we should touch on Madison again because... Like you said, he wanted to go there. That was his choice. He could have gone elsewhere. He had, I think he had an opportunity to go to Newcastle, but he wanted to go to Spurs. And players should want to go to Spurs. And managers should want to go to Spurs. 
this is the biggest knock I would have on Daniel Levy is he's made a club that should be, I mean, it is one of the big six. They're also in London. They've got this fabulous new stadium. They should be a club where players want to go and play. But Levy hasn't accomplished that as the owner or, well, one of the owners of Spurs. And in fact, he's he's kind of gone the opposite way with things because they failed so, rap- so, so regularly. You know, we've seen Modric go there and leave. Bale go there and leave. Now, both of them came from smaller clubs. It was a stepping stone for them. But neither of them left with any medals. You know, Harry Kane, the best number nine English football has seen in a decade said, well, since Harry K since Alan Shearer retired, he's gone, no medals. This is where they've fallen down and failed. But when you get players like Madison, and I get that he's not the elite of the elite. I get that he's not like a first choice England player, but he is a very, very good player. And him picking Spurs, I think is a really good thing for the club and might see other players follow suit. If they think, Ange is the right type of manager to play under. This is a a style of football I want to be involved in. And there's going to be the possibility of winning things. But it's not just him in that midfield. Papi Matar Sar has really kicked on his development this year. And I've been very, very impressed with him. He offers physicality. He's dynamic. He's a good ball winner. He gets forward and gets involved in the attacking phase quite well. And a player who last season would have been one of my most disappointing players in the league has bounced back and is absolutely outstanding is Yves Basuma. I think he's been phenomenal thus far this season. It, I thought he was the best midfield player on the pitch in that game against Arsenal. I, I thought he just looked a class above. And frankly, he's someone I wanted us to sign, but obviously he had that court case hanging over him, but... It's now gone away. He, I think if you if you put him in our team right now, I think we would go really, really close to winning the title, if not nudging ahead of City. I think he's that good. Well, I mean, early days, obviously, uh, in terms of fixtures played, but he's seventh, I think, in the, at the moment for Premier League tackles per 90, tackled one per 90, I should say. Papin Tassar, he's nominally let's say the more defensive but he gets forward so quickly and gets back obviously he is a real really big final third threat he is someone who has been Spurs most regular shooter this season basically per 90 again Uh, I think the Arsenal one was his first full 90 minutes in the Premier League because he did start as sub and then came in and was you know subs during matches, but basically he gets forward whenever he can. Both mm. of them are really, really good ball carriers as well. That's the other thing. They don't really have a sitter and a runner. It's both of them sort of working in tandem. Both yeah, of them working one really, sits, really one well. goes. It's, it's that old thing Roy Keane used to talk about, that partnership. Yeah. We just develop that understanding. That's what it is, though. It's a partnership. It is mm. you know, something we speak about a lot, especially regarding central defenders and the understanding and the ability to cover in for the other um, and, and and developing that cohesion between you, they've done it really, really quickly this season, considering last year, you know, both of them completely on the periphery of it. Um, I mean, like we're both like, not, not sure fans, but certainly admirers of Hoiberg for, for his mm. style and his ability and that, but he's, I mean, third at best. And when you consider Benson Coe is going to be back after the next international break, maybe only fourth choice for them now. Yeah. Um, you know, Basuma, like you say, has been really, really good, but it is the the pairing. Which it's is the pair of them. And like the thing with, with, with Matara Sarah is like when they signed him from Mets, a lot of clubs were chasing him and it was a bit of a coup for them to get in there and get him first. And he was seen as this big talent. Then they loaned him back. I think it was like a year and a half after they signed him that he finally played for them. And then... For whatever reason, Conte... Now, with Conte, I just assume that it's... Conte would rather have a fella in there who he knows is going to give him six and a half out of ten. That older type of reliable starter than a young player who might be eight out of ten one week, but then four out of ten the next. 
But to, to Matara Sarah's credit, there's been no four out of ten. Like he's he's sevens and eights pretty much every week at the moment. And like we said, that that partnership with Basuma is just so strong. And they're providing a base for Madison. But Madison's creativity and ability to take the ball under pressure and draw men in is also allowing a Matar Sar to bomb forward, knowing that Madison will find him. That he's not just going to make that run for no reason. The ball is going to get back to him, and then he can impact play again. The same thing goes with Basuma. He knows, if I make this run, James will get me the ball back. I'm not just going to make that run for the sake of it. And even if it is a decoy run, he's still now running free into the final third. The other thing about that triangle, if you like, is that Madison, although nominally a number 10, obviously playing centrally, he works in the channel so much. He he vacates that central space, and that's why they're able to run forward so much, because they can stay centrally. They're not going to be too far out of position in a lateral sense. Obviously, it's just about the verticality. Can they get back in time and so on and so forth? But Madison's movement, and obviously then he's able to link with Kulsevsky or Brennan Johnson, whoever's on the on the flanks as well. And they're so good in those tight little spaces that once you've got the third man runner from midfield, that's just how they're getting free so often. One thing I will say against Arsenal as well, I I don't know what Mikel Arteta was thinking here. They had other options and so on, but sticking in Vieira into that midfield against Saab, Asuma and Madison was an absolute nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know what... Arteta... There's a, there's an arrogance about the decisions Arteta makes that we see sometimes from Guardiola, where he picks a team that looks like physically it shouldn't be able to cope, but Guardiola has earned that right, and his team are so dominant that you know he could play, he he has played Phil Foden and say Bernardo as his two number eights. And he'll get away with it. Now, in part, he gets away with it because he's got Rodri sat behind them. But he also gets away with it because City's style of football and, and how dialed in they are is just on a completely different level. Arsenal haven't reached that. Like, this guy went and spent $65 million to bring in Kai Havertz and try and play him as an eight. Last season, he had Granite Jacket there. Now, as a footballer, Kai Havertz is a clear upgrade on Granite Jacket. But as a midfielder, particularly in a role where you're being asked to drop back in quite a bit and form a double pivot with your number six to give you that defensive solidity, Granite Jacket is levels and levels above Kai Havertz on account of just being a midfielder and not, a, not an attacking player. So I, I do think Arteta has kind of lost his way in terms of the midfield balance. I like their front line. Their defense is soft, but they get away with a lot because they've got good recovery pace. But that midfield balance is just not there. And I mean, I thought Rice was like generally okay first half for Arsenal, given the amount they had to do and how swamped he was at times, especially on on transition play. Him and um, Fabio Vieira went off at the break, obviously. I. I'm not a Vieira fan in the slightest. I, I think he's miles below the level that Arsenal need personally, but I don't understand the reason for bringing him in ahead of either Havertz or Jorginho, both of who are on the bench, both of who are available. Or if you want to make a complete change, at least match up Spurs and put Elneny in there because he was on the bench as well. Like, But yeah. what we can take from Arsenal is what you've just mentioned, the forward line. Jesus obviously starting left side. Um, this was on at the same time as as the Liverpool game, obviously. So I was only like glancing up at first, and it was a little while before I actually realised Jesus and Inketi had started this game. So it was mm-hmm. one obviously had to watch back later on. But Jesus playing from the left hand side, two things. One, I don't know when was the last time I saw a defender have as bad a game as Romero did in terms of everything going against him and everything he did just being absolutely horribly, woefully mm-hmm. terrible. Um, possibly Woot face against us last season. Yeah, it's the obvious one to go to. But um, I can give Jesus you some Dejan Lovren examples if you want. I've got them written down. Yeah. But Jesus running centrally, uh, making up the two in the middle, going in between fullback and centre-back, obviously, that is something we replicate an awful lot anyway. Uh, and obviously, you mentioned two difficult matches in succession for a doggy. I think Saka 
showed in both halves what Liverpool need to do against him. One was attacking him constantly and running past him, which he couldn't cope with. But the other was when Saka didn't always do as much defensively as he could have, which again, you're looking at similarities with Salah there and is something that we will have to look to probably Solomon's like to, to replicate. Mm. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, like even just the Vieira thing with Zinchenko, which I know it's off topic, but or the, the Vieira thing, like you could have played Zinchenko in midfield and you could have put Jakob Kiwar at left back. You could have played um, Tommy Asu at left back. You could have played Ben White in midfield and put Tommy Asu at right back. You had loads of good options and you picked literally the worst option in Fabio Vieira. I'm a bigger fan of his talent. I think he's an exceptionally good passer of the ball than you are. But he's just an Odegaard clone. Like, if he's going to be in the team, it needs to be in the Odegaard role. He, he can't play the other role. You, you just can't. Because if you're asking him to do that, then Odegaard has to take on a lot more of the defensive responsibility because Declan Rice can't do it by himself. Like, he just can't. He's not good enough defensively as is. And when you're asking him to deal with an entire midfield just running by him, it's just not going to work. On Spurs, I do agree. I thought... Saka just started to run by him and then Adoji, I thought, got a bit of a handle on it. And then Saka changed up and started coming in field a bit more. And maybe that gave the perception that Adoji was holding things down a bit better. But going the other way was a concern for Arsenal and I think can be for us as well. Especially if, as expected, Trent is back in the team. Now, my hope is that Joe Gomez will start. Because I think if it's Joe at right back and Dominic on the right side of midfield, I think we're better positioned to deal with a doji bombing forward and then either Brennan Johnson or Youngman Son, whichever one of them plays wide left, in combination. Because the other factor here, as you mentioned it earlier, the, the thing that Madison offers them that's been so impressive is that ability to drift into those half spaces on either side and impact the game. And when he's able to go right and link with Kulisevsky drifting infield and Poro bombing forward on the, on the outside or drift left and link with either Brennan Johnson or Hyungman Son coming infield and a doji bombing forward down the outside. Like those little triangles that he's able to create on both sides, plus that triangle he has in midfield, Plus, what's already a very good understanding with Son when he's the nine, like he's got the connection with every part that's around him. And it's it's one of the reasons they're functioning so well is that Madison, there's no area that Madison's drifting into where there's a clunky relationship with the nearest player to him, whether it's the two boys behind him, the guy in front, the guys out wide or the two lads bombing forward on the outside. Madison is connecting it all together really well. And this is where I'm concerned for the weekend because right now we're playing Alexis McAllister as a six. And I don't think Alexis will deal all that well with Madison's movement. I think Curtis, and I've said this before, I think Curtis will be better suited with his physicality, better mobility, a bit more dynamic and just, I think, a stronger defensive player in general because he's been in our system for longer. I think Curtis will be better suited to deal with the threat of McAllister, which would leave... I, su- I suppose Alexis on Basuma would be the best fit and then Dominic on Matar Sar, just to match up physicality-wise. 
Is this not one of the ones you would put Jones forward as the deepest one for us then? Yeah, I, I would play Jones as the six here. I would I would play him as the six largely to deal with the threat of Madison. And even if it meant that he had very little involvement on the ball other than just recycling possession, you know, in, in deeper phases, once we press them back, then he can have a bit more involvement. But I, w- I would rather him play as the deeper one because I just want a bit more athleticism in that role than what Alexis is going to give us. Um, did you see the midweek game? Because I did not watch the entirety, only highlights. I was, I did. I think so. How was Jones from right back? Give us a bit. I of, thought he uh, was good. I thought he was good. I, I thought there was a couple of positional issues early on, where he wasn't getting the timing right of shifting into midfield and shifting back. And I thought then he tempered how how often he was going into midfield. We we had so much of the ball and were so dominant that he didn't have a lot of defensive work to do. But he did he he did deal with McAteer a couple of times fairly well. I thought he was good, and it was it was just funny because I'd mentioned it to you on the scout that we did that day about you know the fact that he has played right back in the past, and then all of a sudden the team comes out a few hours later. And he's listed at right back. And you're thinking, um, Endo's probably the right back in this. And Curtis is probably starting as the six, which would have been interesting to me for the purposes of this game. But instead, it was Curtis at right back. And, and I thought he did fairly well. You know, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he kept the ball well as he always does. He moved it well. He was progressive. And defensively, I, I thought once he got a handle on it and got the timing right, I thought he did pretty well. Decent. Well, we don't want him there for the for the weekend. I was just curious over over your um, obviously view on him in a in a new role and considering he was captain and everything as well. Um, and seemed to really rise to the occasion of being captain. Really did seem to rise to me. You know how you know how often when we score a goal, everyone goes to celebrate, and then Virgil has always sort of hung back a little bit. Yeah, and he's like the last one, and he has a quiet word with with the goals. Curtis did that as well. Like, nice. got the celebration in it, and then at the end of it all, went again and sort of, you know, bigged up the fellow who'd got the goal. And I thought I thought it was really good. And he had a couple of moments as well where, like, Endo did really well at one at one stage to, to get the ball back and get us moving. And as Curtis ran by him, he gave him, like, big encouragement to say, you know, that's really good. You're doing really well here. And you could see Endo start to get more confident. And then when Dominic scored his goal... Curtis made a point of going to Endo and congratulating him on the assist. And then after the game, I saw him, because he'd gone off, obviously, I saw him come on and he made a beeline for Gerald Kwanzaa. And you could see he was talking about the goal that Kwanzaa created as well because he's pointing down and telling him how well he'd done. So I thought it was really good. And another really positive sign was that Trent came onto the pitch and was going around letting everybody know how well they'd done it. It's just really nice to have that that homegrown, you know, leadership side of it. Because whatever we say about, you know, all the players care, obviously, there's a little bit extra with those boys. There's more of a connection to things with those lads. So having them in, in positions of responsibility, I think, is a really good thing. But no, I was impressed by Curtis, in particular in the fact that he, he put that armband on and it, it did seem to make him walk, you know, six inches taller, which is always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, and the other thing to note, I suppose, from a Liverpool perspective is that maybe probably first time in, I don't even know how long, a while, probably since the season before last, um, that he's not really having his minutes managed as such then. If he was playing weekend, midweek, and then back in again for this weekend, because obviously towards the end of last season, we were already you know, out of European competition by the time he was regularly starting in the team. Mm. So it would be all the way back to the beginning of the previous campaign, really. My guess is that the original plan was for Stefan to play right back, but he had this calf issue and they thought, well, we'll just manage him through this game and then he'll be okay. So Curtis was the one that stepped in for him. My That's my guess as to, as to how Curtis ended up in the team. But I... I think he's absolutely nailed on to start this weekend without question. And I, I think he's nailed on to start for the foreseeable as long as he continues to perform the way he has. 
which is really positive. Like, it's a really, really positive thing because he had that little, was it a little ankle injury he had at the start of the year? And you were like, at the start of the season, you are like, oh, yeah. not again. Like, yeah. last year, he plays that preseason friendly. What did he play? 60 seconds or something of that preseason friendly? Got a kick. And then we didn't see him basically for months and months on end. You know, the previous time he was starting to really push for a, a starting position, especially with the form of a certain other former Liverpool midfielder. And you thought, right, it's, it's Curtis's time is about to land here. And he gets poked in the eye or whatever it was that happened at training. And he's out for months on end. And you were just like, just considering the options we came into the season with mm. and how light we were in midfield, like it, 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 how light we were, you know, having only brought in, well, we brought in four, but obviously we lost a bunch and we didn't get that holding midfielder. So you were sort of looking at it going, well, Thiago's going to be injured for, you know, a prolonged period of time because that's just what happens. Most, most of the time. Most of the time. So, you know, Gravenberch is only just arriving. He's he's not been particularly good over the last two seasons and they'll want to basically rebuild him slowly. So it's Curtis or Endo. Like, they're the two that will be vying for that last spot with Dominic and Alexis. And Endo seemed like he might be a more natural fit as a defensive midfielder, but then when you were starting to think of what Curtis could maybe offer us, especially if we're going to play this box midfield, Curtis could play, as he's now shown, pretty much all four spots in the box midfield. And you're thinking, right, this could be his chance now to get a long run of games. He had a really good end to last season. This could be really good for him. And he gets that little injury and you're like, for fuck's sake, he's going to be out now for three months. But thankfully, he's back really quickly. And... And he's playing very, very well. And like Dominic's getting all the headlines, obviously, but Curtis has been like it's not a surprise that it's not like sorry, not a coincidence that our form ticked up last season when he came into the team. It wasn't just the change in shape; it was also bringing him in because he does he does a lot of things for us in attack, like we've mentioned for Madison. He's got that connective relationship with Diaz on the left, with Robbo from left back, with whoever's behind him, whether it's Alexis or whatever, and with Darwin. Like he's got those little relationships on the pitch. He's got that level of understanding with each different player. And he's not obviously as flashy as Madison. He's not going to get you the goals and assists because we're not asking him to do that. But he's he's doing it all very cleverly and it's all very it looks quite simple, but it's it's really good decision making. And what I'm really liking about him is how how willing he is to rotate his position. Like, Robbo bombs forward, and you can see it, like, that means there's a gap at left back. And he just drops five yards. He's not dropping 25 yards. He's just dropping five yards to give himself a head start so that if we get turned around, he's now in a position, at least, to get back into left back and make a challenge if Robbo can't get back ahead of him. So... Little things like that are just very, very vital to a, a team like us who has one shape in possession and one drastically different shape out of possession. And I think Curtis is making a lot of the, the connective issues work quite well. So give us your starts in 11, and I guess we know that there's not going to be much to discuss there other than maybe one of the forward positions as we talked about just before the League Cup match. I would go Allison. Gomez at right back. Canate and Virgil. Robbo. Dominic right side. Curtis as the six. Alexis as the other eight. I expect Klopp will go Alexis as the six. Curtis as the eight. But this is my team, so I'll pick it how I want. And then, to be honest, I would just stick with Mo, Darwin and Diaz. Because... I think against Poro, Diaz can have a lot of joy because Poro leaves space in behind. And Diaz loves himself a bit of grass to run into. So I I would go with that. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. 
As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. What do you think Hop's going to do at right centre-back? Is that Kanata or is that Matip staying there for now? I'm not sure. It might well be Matip. I think Matip stays in this way. Like, it's a strange thing because Ibu's been really good this season and I'm not quite sure how we found ourselves with Ibu as the, the cup centre-back. <laughs> he just missed one game and it's, that's the rotation since then. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose oh, after the international it, break, it might it might might go back the other way. But look, I, I don't mind if if Joel plays as well as he did against Villa. I, I don't mind. But Son has caused Joel or Joel problems in the past. He has caused Matip problems in the past. Um, but I don't mind it if, if it's Matip. I don't mind. I think Gomez makes sense in this game for a couple of reasons. One, he's just a better defender than Trent. But two, I also just. Trent's, what is it? It's a calf injury he's had. I don't really want to just sort of rush him back in and risk losing him for the next eight weeks. Um, And the other side of it is the next game is Brighton. Carol Matoma brings Trent home and makes him be his butler after those games. So I, I would much rather play Gomez against Matoma than Trent against Matoma. Um, so I'd like to see Gomez stay in and stay in rhythm. So that's part of why I'd go with him at right back over Trent. Um, for Spurs, then I guess we're going to go Vicario, Porro, Romero, Vandeven, Odogi, Bissouma, Sar, Madison, Ten, Kulisevsky, right, and then you go in Son and Solomon, or Richarlison, or Brennan. Um. Let's just see what their injury situation is quickly. Brennan is injured. He has a knock and Madison is... Madison's a doubt with a knee injury, isn't he? I'm I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, On the 24th, Ange said, I'm not sure with Brennan. It seems like he fell something. I think his hamstring. We'll assess that. So with a hamstring, I'm guessing they won't risk him. So it's it's Sun through the middle and Solomon off the left or Sun off the left and Richarlison through the middle. I think I'd be inclined to play Solomon. So I think he's more of a goal threat from wide than Richarlison is. I, I, Richarlison has, has aspects of his game that I do really like, but he's just he's just not he's not he doesn't put it together very well. Like, at this point in his career, I think he should be a lot further along in his development. Now, I know a big part of that is that he played for Everton for a long time, four years, played under 23 different managers, and chopped and changed a lot. And he did have seasons where he you know, he looked impressive. And initially, when he went there, I thought he, he looked pretty impressive for them. But I think the player that that left while more rounded was less impactful than the player that joined. And I I just, he wouldn't be for me to start. No, no. I I think I'd start Solomon left and, and Sun through the middle. I think Sun would give us more problems as well. So if I'm them, I think I'd go with him. What's your biggest direct uh, individual battle, which could shape this game then? I think I think Robbo versus Kulisewski is going to be interesting. 
because Kulisevsky, when he picks the ball up, really wants to drift in field. And that is going to lead to decisions that Robbo needs to make. Do I go with him or do I let Virgil deal with him? Because if he goes with them, then that's going to open up big amounts of space for Poro. And Kulisevsky drip, like driving in field, laying it off to Madison and Madison playing it out into that right-hand channel has been really effective for them this year with Poro just racing onto it. So that's going to be one. Salah versus Adoiji is, is a big one. Like We need Mo to, to really teach the young fella lesson. And then the midfield battle. Like, the midfield battle to me is really interesting because our midfield has played well this season. Theirs, I think, has been the best midfield group I've seen in the league this year, like, on a week-to-week basis. But individually, like, I do think ours is more talented. I think that midfield battle is going to be so key. If it's Dominic up against Matar Sar. Like that, that could be very interesting because both of them have influence on the ball, particularly Dominic. But Matarsar gets through so much work for them, oftentimes because he can cheat off his own man to go and help somewhere else. If he can't cheat off Dominic, which he can't, because if Dominic's left in any kind of space, he'll hurt them. I think that could limit his impact as well. So I'll, I'll say Dominic versus Sar, Adoiji versus Salah. And Robbo versus Kulisevsky are the three that I'm looking at. This, And if we come out on top in all three of them, I think we win the game. Yeah, the Robertson against Kulisevsky was actually the one I was going to pick as well. But as usual, um, we, we clearly have very, very different opinions of what one means. So, you know, your your one is three of them. Um, <laughs> that That's the majority. Well, of that's the that one position. I said first, in fairness. That is the one I said first. So it's not like I took your one like, with my third one. I took it as my first one. It's fine. Completely agreed. Um, look, I, I'm conflicted about my next question because generally this is your question and I get it right. And in midweek we swapped and you got it right. So do you want to ask it or do I? I'm just going to tell you now that my my actual, when I really t- take a step back and think of it, prediction for this game is 2-2. That's quite close to mine, but I actually went 3-3. So neither of us are taking the low-hanging fruit of the of the 3-1 to Liverpool, no? I, th- I think that, that sadly comes to an end. What an era it's been. What an era it's been. Um, we, have, we have similar strengths and similar flaws in, in our teams. You know, you're talking about me and you for a second. Well, us as well, but (laughs) both teams are are really good going forward. Now, we have the best individual attacker in Mo, obviously, but I think they have the second best in Sun. Both teams have really good things about the midfield. I think their midfield as a whole is better than ours because it's better balanced because you've got those two sitters in there. I think if, like I said earlier, if you put Basuma into our team or or Matar Sar into our team, for that matter, maybe actually Matar Sar instead of Basuma because he's got he's got a bit more he's got a bit more narrow about him or something. There's a bit more gadget legs too. He's a, he's got a bit of Fabinho about the way he wins the ball back. But defensively, there's there's, there's issues with with both with both teams, and it's largely issues in the fullback spots. I think we can mitigate ours better than they can mitigate theirs by using Joe Gomez and by maybe just reining Robbo in a little bit like he has been in recent games. Um, This might just come down to whichever team makes the least individual errors. You know, like if you look at their game last weekend, like the, the opening Arsenal goal, there's no reason for Romero to try and play that ball and he deflects it into his own net. If you look at the goal we conceded, there's no reason for Robbo to collapse our line the way he does. There's no reason for Robbo then to leave Bowen unmarked in the middle and race back across to left back when Dominic is getting there before him anyway. There's no reason for that. 
What are the odds on Romero putting in a performance against us as he did against Arsenal last week? Very low. Very low. Like It's a a disappointment. Every single... If he hadn't... If he just had a normal Romero game, because he is, like... He's a really good defender. I think he's a top five centre-back in the league. But he does have just every so often he has this one game... But it's not even that he's bad. Like, I don't think he was particularly bad against Arsenal. It's just that he just had this run of t- dreadful luck. The the own goal, the penalty, for me, I, I just, I, I've watched that so many times and I just can't see how they can give that. Like, it deflects onto his hand. He doesn't stop the ball with his hand. It deflects onto his hand, not directly from the opponent, from his own foot. So I don't know how that, like, I've seen that happen and not being given because it's deflected up off his foot. There was another incident last weekend where it wasn't given in one of the other games. He just had such a bad run of luck last weekend that, I don't know, surely surely he's due a run of good luck. And if he's on, like, he's he is exceptionally good. He has the ability to just take your number nine completely out of the game. Um, Darwin versus him is going to be fun, though. Because that's a lot of aggression. That's a lot of South American passion right there. So I'm I'm curious to see if if both of them manage to stay on the pitch um, until you know uh, uh, they're called off by their own team as opposed to being sent off by the official. They they may actually be out there still when we're playing midweek next time. So yeah, just booting each other up in the air and and probably laughing about it with each other. Yeah, because they're just—they're both kind of, well, they're both deranged. Um, right. So you're going three-three. I'm going two-two. Um, we, we'll give Guy the credit of the three-one. Okay. So, so if we do win three-one, it, it can it can be Guy's one. Um, okay. Is so, Pastor said, "Say again." Is Darwin continuing with the goals? I think he'll get one. I think he'll get one. Um. I, I think the one flaw with the two centre-backs is that you can move from one to the other and kind of drift in between them. Like, they, they're not fully in sync yet with picking up. A, like, if, if a player is up on Romero and then starts to drift across to Van de Ven, he doesn't instinctively step in and pick them up. He's, he's often leaving them that half yard to get in around him. And as as quick as he is, he is a massive human and it does take him just a little bit longer to turn around. So you you can have a little bit of joy uh, against him. You can have a little bit of joy like that, but he's so young, he's going to get so much better. Um, So Postacoglu said Brennan Johnson is out. Uh, Madison and Son trained, they're fine. Yeah, I'm going to guess it's Son up front, Solomon left wing. You know, I I, think... I think that's probably Postacoglu can, can probably rely on Solomon to give him exactly what he wants more than he can rely on Richarlison at this moment in time. Fair enough. I think that's it then. Um, last question before we go. Unrelated to this game, but kind of related to this game. There are reports, Carl, that the Saudi Pro League are going to start targeting Premier League referees to try and steal them away. And there's been some calls from some people to massively increase the wages of Premier League referees to stop them from being tempted. If you had a million quid in your pocket right now Mm. and it had to be spent on referees, would you, option A increase the wages of the Premier League referees or option B, hire private jets to get them the fuck out of here to Saudi Arabia? I I would make a highly personalised and stylized invitation and duplicate it just with the name swapped over and send one which said, like, we'd love to have you on board and we'd love to 
you know, have you as a flagship member and all the rest of it. And one which said, I'd love to be your flagship member. I'd love to be on board with you. Send one to the Saudi Pro League and one to Lee Mason and just see what happens after that. <laughs> yeah, if you're coming for the refs, Saudi, if you hear this, if anyone from the Saudi Pro League hears this, you need a referee to really raise the standard of your league. There is nobody more suited to the level than Lee Mason. This is an exemplary human being, a man of integrity, a man of great experience. Now, you might need to pay some money to get him a wig because that baldy head might just, you know, melt in the Saudi heat. But if you need someone to come in, I'd make him your head of officiating. I'd give him the big bag the big office, the gold plate on the wall. Lee Mason is your man. You, you you won't find better than our Lee, a big friend of the podcast. He's only 51. Man runs like he's 70. Anyway, we will leave it there. Carl, what do you have coming out this weekend or early next week that people should be aware of? In the minutes preceding this podcast, there's a piece on Liverpool Spurs and a little bit more depth of the midfield battle that we've spoken on uh, at times today. Obviously, on the pod, we have to go through many other people on the pitch, but the writing allows me to focus on one little bit, and that is the central midfield rebuilds for both uh, in very, very different ways. Uh, Across the weekend, there will be probably another piece on the Liverpool match. Um... Just looking to see what the other game is I'm doing here because I can't even remember to be perfectly honest. I possibly will have something on Spanish football actually for for early next week, so potentially that I've, I've not done oodles of that this week. But uh, if if anybody hasn't been watching too much yet, then Friday night there's one interesting game uh, Barcelona Sevilla, and if you get the chance to watch across the next few weeks, Girona Girona whatever you want to call them Girona. Uh, they play Real Madrid this weekend on, on Saturday. They're a team to be watching, is what I want to say, really. They they are a they are very, very good and a very, very fun side to watch. Super attack-minded. Some really, really good talents in the team. So, potentially, um, we'll be writing something on them on, on early they're, Monday. They're part of the City Football Group, aren't they? They are, indeed. Yeah. Um Pablo Torres is on loan there. He's a he's a really exciting player. Ar- Arna Martin Ar- Martinez is the player I was trying to think of. I've only seen a little bit of him, but he does look like he might be the next big Spanish defender that the top clubs will look to. They have he- a few there who are like excellent, like really really good young players. One of them uh, who plays left wing for them, Brazilian guy called Savio. He's only uh, 19, I think he is now. He he is lightning, really, really quick feet, really good uh, final third productivity so far, obviously early days in the season, but they've put together a really nice team. A couple of players like Yangel Herrera. Um, they, they've now got him, who's been around La Liga for a Love while. Him. Somehow, they're top of the league with Paolo Gazzaniga in goal, but I'm willing to overlook that just for madness. Paolo Gazzaniga in goal, Eric Garcia in defence... I didn't realise that's where Daily Blimp ended up. Yes. Oh, I'm definitely going to watch a lot more of these. I've always had a soft spot. Victor Shankoff is there as well. Big, big fan of him. Very, very talented player. They just signed Artem Dovbik as well. So they've got an interesting squad that they've put together there, yeah. to be honest. Like I say, playing Real Madrid this weekend, um, time-wise, is, is not helpful if you want to watch Liverpool. But obviously, for watching back matches afterwards, that's a decent one to pick out. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm definitely... <clears throat> Savio's the kid that was at, at PSV last year, wasn't he? The Brazilian kid. He is very, very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, who who would have thunk that Girona would be top of La Liga after seven games? Long may it continue. And um, we will leave it there. We'll be back uh, next week. We will have a couple of pods, but myself and Carol will actually be back together on Raw with the good brother Trev Downey and uh, that will be immediately following the game we will have it streaming live on Discord if you want to listen live to it and then it will be released as a podcast shortly after so thank you as always for listening and we'll see you next week bye bye 
We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.